Well, good evening, everyone. My voice is a little raspy, so uh, I'll try to sustain it. But just be aware. I guess you can't not be aware. <laughs> I wanted to start tonight by uh, wishing those of you who celebrated New Year's last year, last week, uh, wishing you all a happy New Year. Fifty seventy eight. We were here first. I went to a, uh, a synagogue with, which has a typical Berkeley Jewish tone, flavor to it. And during the prayers for the dead, right after the traditional prayers for the dead, we sang Knocking on Heaven's Door. It was wonderful, wonderful. So... Um, I was thinking about what I wanted to do tonight and I kept thinking how bad the news is and uh, decided really what I have to offer people at this time as much as I, I can assess what I have to offer is uh, a big perspective and some levity. So... I went into my files and uh, pulled out some old material that I used to use in my shows, and I revised it some and updated it. And so I'm going to offer some of it to you tonight. And it's really done in the spirit of uh, the Buddha when he was teaching his son Rahula. He was teaching him Dharma, and he said, Rahula, if you take a spoonful of salt and put it in a glass of water, it'll make the water taste salty. But if you take that same spoonful and put it in the Ganges River, it won't make the Ganges River taste salty. So that's in that spirit, I, uh, I offer you this, this talk, which is really about the central question of Buddhism, or it seems any spiritual tradition at least the esoteric branches of every spiritual tradition, there is a search for self, a search for the truth about the self, and big questions like, you know, what are we doing here? Why is there a universe, and why is there a me? I've always wanted an explanation. You know, I've been looking for... I sometimes think maybe I've been looking in the wrong place. You know, I keep looking up. But uh, really, it may, may be that the, uh, the truth lies closer to the ground. I sometimes think that humans became really arrogant when we stood up, lifted ourselves off the ground, and thought we were above it all. Um, but we've been asking those big questions our, you know, throughout our history. And uh, we've come up with some fantastic stories to answer them. You know, stories of gods and devils and heavens and hells. And we've come to believe, we've grown so arrogant, we've come to believe that we were made in God's image. You know, that God has a nose and ears and why would he want that? And our major religions have come to regard Earth as like a training planet. You know, a place where you come to burn off some karma or learn some lessons, and then you get to go off to some other place where you truly belong. But those old stories are growing increasingly dysfunctional in that they remove our reverence for this world and they lift the human out of the web of life that somehow we're not like all that. And those stories may be one reason why we're creating such havoc on this planet. planet. Luckily, we've started to tell ourselves some new stories. 
And the news stories say we are intertwined with all and everything. In physics, they talk about entanglement. Or the, the chaos theory, and uh, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings, or I move my hand and the whole universe gets involved. And in biology, they're telling us a new story which is basically the story of evolution, which says that we are related to every being that's ever lived. The story of evolution is everybody's biography. We are all cell brothers and cell sisters. And our new stories, the new stories we're telling ourselves are based on science, so they must be true. So let me offer you a couple of those stories, and I'll start at the very beginning, like a new creation myth, right? So in the beginning, say the scientists, there was nothing, and it was good. Nothing can be wrong with nothing. In the beginning, there wasn't any space, no place to put anything, in the beginning, there wasn't any time. Nothing ever got done. Nobody cared. And then suddenly, there was a big bang. Some people now said, wait a minute. If there had been nothing, what banged? Good question, said the scientists. They went back. They reconfigured some things and decided there had been something after all. A dot. A singularity. A point much, much smaller than an atom. And so it came to pass, saith the scientists. This is a new creation myth. myth. We want to get some pomp into it. And so it came to pass, saith the scientists, that that dot exploded. It happened 13.7 billion years ago today. <laughs> Happy birthday to you too. 13.7 billion years ago, that dot exploded, and out of that explosion came the elementary forces and the elementary particles, and they began mixing and morphing and eventually creating billions of galaxies full of billions of suns and planets and oceans and forests and people and animals, everything you can know of and name, and it all came out of the explosion of a tiny dot much, much smaller than an atom. Now, isn't that more feasible than the idea of a God who created everything in six days? Which is more fantastic? <laughs> Here's an image for you. A, a trillionth of a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang, the universe was six feet in diameter. Now that's a universe you can get your head around, you know? <laughs> Take it home, put it in your garage. <laughs> now some scientist estimates the, estimates the universe to be 10 billion trillion cubic light years large approximately. <laughs> What's out there in all that space? Well, uh, the Kepler Space Telescope, the space probe, has been finding lots of planets going around their suns in our galaxy that could support life. Thousands of them. Nigh on to millions of them. So it's starting to look pretty probable, almost assuredly so, that there's life all over the universe. And I think that's really good news for us humans because it takes the pressure off. <laughs> we no longer have to carry the entire burden of meaning in the cosmos. It's not just about us. If we ever find life in another galaxy, we'll have to become galaxy-oriented. We'll, we'll be Milky Wayans. We, we know we're Earthlings, but, you know, Milky Wayans, we'll have to offer our loyalty to our galaxy. But this universe we're living in is a real trickster. For instance, the scientists say and have discovered and proven 
that helium suffuses our universe. There's helium everywhere. So does that mean my voice is actually an octave lower than it sounds to you right now? Could it be that none of us have heard our true voices? And it looks like there's a lot of stuff here, right? But there's hardly any stuff here at all. Because everything we perceive is made of atoms. And atoms are 99.999999% empty space. You take the nucleus of an atom, blow it up millions and millions of times till it's the size of a pea. The electron going around that nucleus will be the size of a grain of sand and it'll be a half a mile away. There's hardly any matter to matter. So why don't we just fall right through the earth, right, right through the floor, right through the earth? It's somebody's magic act that we're involved in. If, if your body's made of atoms, and atoms are mostly empty space, what, what is holding your clothes on? <laughs> Not only does the emperor have no clothes, the clothes hardly have any li- emperor. We're like optical illusions to each other. As they say in Zen, form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. Of course, now they've broken the atom down into three minuscule subatomic particles, quarks, leptons, and gluons. Now, I'm not quite sure how it works, but I think the gluons hold the quarks and the leptons together. That's how it sounds, right? (laughs) Quarks, leptons, and gluons. (laughs) There there must be some jokers in the physics departments around (laughs) having a really good time. Well, I I, I started to understand matter for a while. I was reading up on it all. And then the scientists started talking about antimatter. Have you read about antimatter? Doesn't that puzzle you? Why there, there is such a thing? The universe, the scientists say the universe is filled with antimatter. And every time a particle of matter meets a particle of antimatter, they annihilate each other. I think the discovery of antimatter is proof that whoever or whatever created the universe in the first place was somewhat ambivalent. <laughs> a particle of matter, a particle of antimatter. But what else is there to do? Particle of matter. Of course, the discovery of antimatter raises important new questions for us humans. Now we not only have to ask what's the matter, we have to ask what's the antimatter. <laughs> and most important, does it antimatter? <laughs> it's just so it's just so wondrous that uh, let me look and see what I wanted to say next. It was about antimatter, and then oh yeah, uh, the stories. Uh, all our questions may be answered when they find the theory of everything. You know, they're, they're looking for the theory that will unite all the other theories. The current version of which is the superstring theory, which says that everything in the universe is composed of these minuscule vibrating strings of energy. And also that there are 11 more dimensions to reality that didn't unfold in our universe. Which... I think is a good thing because we can barely manage four dimensions. Height, width, depth, and time. If there are 11 more dimensions to reality, think of how much harder it would be to find your car keys or keep your weight down. Or but it, even reading about it and thinking about it, you know, we live in a particular configuration of reality that isn't the be-all and end-all necessarily of the way the world is. The, the scientists are starting to come to the conclusion that the mystics have come to over centuries, which is that consciousness plays a role in the creation of reality. 
The Copenhagen interpretation of quantum physics says, and I quote, there is no reality in the absence of observation. Well, let's do a little scientific experiment. You're all facing me, so that's good. I'll just turn around. <clears throat> now, there is no reality in the, obser- in the absence of observation. should mean that the other half of the room has disappeared. It's here. Now, either it reassembled itself, or one of you was peeking. There is, a, there is a story, maybe apocryphal, that there's a group of lamas up in the Himalayas holding everything together by paying attention. They know we all have to live through the karma of this, this incarnation. So what's going to happen uh, What's going to happen to this space-time universe that we're living in? Well, scientists say it is expanding outward in all directions very rapidly, and they expect it to expand forever into emptiness. They call that a cold death. However, if there's enough gravity, and they just found the gravitational waves, If there's enough gravity, or perhaps enough gravitas, then maybe the expansion will slow down and the universe will begin contracting again in a process that scientists call the big crunch. And it will collapse, everything will collapse back into a singularity again, back into the black hole. They call that a heat death. So, which do you prefer? Heat death, cold death. The universe is going to get you coming or going. I like the idea of a heat death and everything will come back together again and there'll be maybe another Big Bang universe created, one that's a little less troublesome and less has less problems. Other cultures have, have long believed in, in multiple universes. The Dalai Lama was asked if they had the Big Bang in Tibetan Buddhist cosmology, and he said, oh yes, but bang, 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 many bangs, many universes. The Hindus say every time their creator deity Brahma blinks his eyes shut, a universe is destroyed, and every time he opens his eyes again, another universe is created. Try it for yourself. It actually, it works. But here we are, big banging away in this space-time universe. And we are still big, big banging away. Every time you take a step, every move you make is generated by the energy created by that big bang. Right now, inside your skull, millions of synapses are firing, we hope. That's the energy of the Big Bang trying to comprehend the Big Bang. We're pieces of the universe wondering, wondering about itself. So, that's one episode of our story, of our collective story. And I really think that using science in a way of reflecting on what we now understand through scientific uh, research and understanding is helping us to let go of our great attachment to the individual that we, we have created in, in our culture and exactly what the Buddha would have wanted us to use. That we are first and foremost earthlings. And then maybe, I don't know, mammals. There's so many identities thrown in there if we really accept that we are part of that story. And I bet you most of the people in here this evening believe that the story of evolution is true. 
But I don't think we really get it yet, you know. I don't, the, the story hasn't had time to really seep into the corridors of our psyche or the marrow of our bones. We're, we're, uh, we're really quite, not quite able yet to see ourselves as part of that story. I think maybe we need some ceremonies, some rituals around evolution. Sing and dance evolution. Practices like meditation practice that help us feel our way into understanding our, our animal nature, our mammalian nature, our, our part of, of this ongoing flow of beings. I suggest we start by chanting the table of basic elements. Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon. It's got mantra quality, doesn't it, with all those M's and ons? When you're sitting and meditating and reflecting on your breath, you might occasionally reflect on the fact that with every breath, you exchange nutrients with the plant kingdom. With every breath. With every breath you act as a cell and take part in the great breathing of the planet, the, the daily breath that the planet takes in the dark and the, and the light, the seasonal breaths. We are all one breathing organism, this pale blue dot. And we can feel the fact that we are earthlings just uh, move your upper and lower teeth together a little bit. Feel the hardness there. Or touch your knee or your elbow. The hardness of bone. Our bones are made of calcium, phosphates, silicates, carbon. Essentially, the clay of earth. It's mysteriously molded into this skeletal shape. Where else could our bodies have come from? Most of our body is liquid, over 70%. Most of that liquid has the chemical consistency of the oceans. You can probably, if you, if you want to try, you can taste it right now. Lick your upper lip or lick your wrist and you can taste the saltiness of the oceans that you carry with you, inside of you. We're not just on the earth, we're of the earth. We're like earth sprouts that gained a lot of mobility. We're made of all natural earth ingredients. Certified organic. And we're created by all the life that came before us. Richard Dawkins says, if you had a photo of your great-grandfather... 150 million great-grandfathers ago, which we all have a great-grandfather, 150 million great-grandfathers ago. If we had a photo of that great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great, if we had a photo of that grandfather, it would be the photo of a fish. Some of our ancestors were scaly and could breathe underwater. Right now inside your head is a fully functioning reptilian brain, fully functioning mammalian brain, and the new human neocortex, new human brain. And there's growing research and evidence to indicate that we use our new human brain mostly to make excuses for the behavior generated by the other two brains. (laughs) We're not so much rational animals as we are rationalizing animals. But if we see ourselves in the story of evolution, we're forgiven for all our supposed sins and mistakes because we see that we are a baby species. There were millions of generations of dinosaurs, several millions of generations of mammals before humans came along. We've maybe had 20,000 
generations of modern homo sapiens. We just got these big brains. And as you may notice in meditation, we don't quite know how to use them yet. We, we're starting to learn. We're starting to awaken. But there's a ways to go. That's why we need to practice. Yeah, that. So our our new brain, we really have to accept that, and it, it's such a lesson for us uh, in med- in doing our meditation practice as well. To acknowledge to ourselves deeply that we are not our fault. We're we're given a particular moment to be alive and history of life on earth, the history of consciousness. And yeah, it may be a little, uh, you know, we maybe can work with it, but the given is pretty heavy. It's pretty, pretty thick. But uh, if we see ourselves that way, we, we would realize that we should not be tried as adults Humans. If we see ourselves in the story of evolution, our family increases a million, million fold because we see that we are related to every being that's ever lived, related through the miracle molecule DNA composed of four chemical compounds and depending on how they're arranged in these long strings of coded information, the DNA will contribute to the growth of a giant sequoia or a rose or an ant or a human being. It seems to be this magic substance that separates life from non-life. Deoxyribonucleic acid. Much too cold and clinical a name for this magic stuff. So I'm working on a a new acronym, developing it. I'd like you to join me. Every time you see or hear the letters DNA, think divine natural abundance. Divine natural abundance. And as you may know, you are, uh, your DNA is 99.99999% identical to the DNA of the person sitting next to you. The instructions for building and maintaining you are almost exactly the same as the instructions for building and maintaining me and the Dalai Lama and uh, Mitch McConnell and, and Oprah, the Kardashians. Our individual difference is just a thin coat of paint over the basic human design. We share over 98% of our DNA with chimpanzees nearly 90% with mice, uh, 50%, something like 50% with worms, and 30% of our DNA we share with yeast. Yeast. The Brits were shocked when Darwin started telling them they were descended from apes. But what would they do now? What are they doing now? Oh, the shame of it. Yeast. There's a t-shirt put out by the uh, biology department at UC Santa Cruz. It says, you share 25% of your DNA with bananas. Get over yourself. (laughs) But a case could be made actually, that the universe was created for bacteria. They were here first. The first single-celled living being appeared on planet Earth 3.7 billion years ago. Today. (laughs) Happy birthday to you, too. 
And they have survived and thrived until now. They are everywhere. There are more individual living beings in your mouth right now than all the humans that ever lived on planet Earth. They have roads and churches, houses in there. (laughs) Whole civilization between your cheeks. There is some discussion that maybe the bacteria invented humans as like a moving feedlot. Get room and board and a tour of the neighborhood, you know. And, and of course, what was it that? Oh yeah, one of the secrets to the success of the of the bacteria is that they reproduce by just dividing. They don't have to take each other out to dinner or anything. Really, there's been a story in the news quite frequently of, of late uh, talking about the biome, the human biome. We, about something like 70% of our body weight is other, other beings. 70% of our body weight. The great uh, molecular biologist, uh, what's her name? <laughs> She's a great look, <laughs> biologist. Uh, she says, our concept of the individual is purely arbitrary. Each of us is a walking ecosystem. Anybody know her name? She's great. <laughs> but we are new, a kind of a new kind of animal. Um, our ancestors came down from the trees about five million years ago, our immediate ancestors. And among them was an ape woman named Lucy, who the scientists named as the mother of us all. So we can assume that the father of us all was Ricky. (laughs) And we started hanging out longer on the, on the ground and, uh, learned how to use crude stone tools, eventually became what is now known as homo habilis, or handyman. That's what it means. And handyman started standing upright more often, probably to fix a leaky roof sometimes. And pretty soon we're standing up all the time. We're what is now known as homo erectus, or upright human. And standing upright was a very important moment in our development because it's associated with a rapid increase in brain size. Now, you'd think that standing up would cause our feet to swell instead, but here's the theory. Standing up left our hands free to work with tools, and we needed more brain connections to control the more uh, refined movements of our hands and fingers. So this feedback loop was created. Bigger brains, better hands, better hands, bigger brains. And also, standing up left our arms free to carry our stuff around. So we started migrating out of Africa. Nobody knows exactly why we left. I suspect it was to look for Chinese food. <laughs> at, the time, at the time, our brains were half the size they are today, or else we would have figured out how to send out for Chinese food. But we started wandering around the planet. Our brain kept growing, maybe because we got caught in an ice age or two, had to think really hard and fast at how to stay warm. Would have been simple just to grow a heavier coat of fur, but we didn't think of it at the time because our brains were too small. So we grew bigger brains, learned how to make fire, and began sitting around that fire and telling stories about ourselves like this one we're telling right now about evolution. And at some point, our brains became so big they outgrew our skull. We had to get a brand new skull rounded and dome-shaped here in front. Yeah, probably none of you remember the old slopehead model skull, you know. <laughs> Maybe some of your relatives still have one of those. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, 40,000 years ago, our 
immediate ancestors appear, the Cro-Magnon people. They begin making masks and jewelry, having elaborate burial rituals, obviously having begun asking the big questions. And uh, I think also the Cro-Magnon people were probably the first to display a sense of humor, which they got by watching Neanderthals work with tools. You know, they were always dropping them. They could never figure out how to use the pliers. It was, it was embarrassing. So we're catching up on ourselves now. We're almost, you know, we're almost to, to us. 10,000 years ago, our great, really great, great, great grandfathers and grandmothers began living in cities and cultivating agriculture. And the last 10,000 years has been a complete revolution in the life of this planet due to the behavior of our species. Now we can fly off the planet. We can see to the edges of the universe. We can see deep inside of matter. We know how things work in nature. In just the last couple hundred years, we've nearly doubled the average human lifespan. Now you get twice as long to be yourself. Just a few generations ago, most of our ancestors were peasants. And now most of us are called on to absorb many volumes of information in a lifetime, operate fairly sophisticated machinery. It's a whole new world out there. And considering that, I think we're doing a pretty good job of being human. The evolutionary psychologists say we're still working with brains developed in small tribes of hunter-gatherers, which would explain our addiction to shopping You know, if it's out there, go get it. But it also may help explain our confusion in our territorial ways. But if we see ourselves in the story of evolution, we can also find lots of hope. First of all, we see life is really tough and has survived uh, continents bumping into each other and plagues and uh, ice ages and Henry Kissinger, and so life is strong and will probably be able to survive us as well if, we, if it comes to that. And also, we, I take hope, and I, I hope you do too, uh, take hope in the fact that we are just waking up as a species. And just 2,500 years ago, which is a blink of an eye in any kind of biological time or any kind of time in terms of of uh, uh, growing or being advanced in a physical body. Um, We're starting to see this wondrous story emerge of who we are. What complexity and what creativity in the universe. We now know that there are, the latest estimate, and I read this just last week, latest estimate is that there are two trillion galaxies. Two trillion galaxies containing 30 to 50 billion trillion suns. Who are we now in all that vastness? What does it mean to us spiritually? We now know that life has gone from a single-celled being to a being with a hundred trillion cells. That's you and me. And inside each of our hundred trillion cells is the tiny strip of DNA that contains the equivalent of volumes of information, many volumes of information. Considering the creativity and the complexity of, of life on this planet, it's hard not to believe that there isn't something purposeful going on here. The great evolutionary biologist, (laughs) I'll get his name, E.O. Wilson, said, to imagine human beings appearing due to chance in our universe is like imagining a hurricane blowing through a junkyard and creating a 747. We're pretty special 
And uh, we're being called on to awaken more and see if we can't do, do more to heal this, this difficult disease that uh, we, are, we are inflicting the planet with. We can all do more. When I get discouraged, I sometimes remember it's taken the universe 13.7 billion years to make me. What a project, huh? It's cause for some self-esteem. So do what you can. We have some time for comments, questions. I think I've run out of uh, story. There's more story, and you can always fit more story in there. I'm addicted to the nature shows and the Nova shows, and we live in such a rich time. And uh, one way to activate it and to bring it alive inside of us is to meditate. Sit and feel your Feel your crazy limbic system and your mammalian brain and your basic hunger. Just keep remembering you're not your fault. So anybody, please add uh, additions, corrections. I, I'm always, I'm always looking for. Uh, new connections. What's her name? <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great question. I get that I'm not my fault um, originally. But by this point, am I not at least partially my fault? <clears throat> That's a great question. And, you know, it's the old free will determinism debate kind of writ large. Um, I think, for one thing, that is, is pretty obvious. We think we have a lot more freedom than we actually do. Almost everybody thinks they have a lot more freedom than they actually do. And you really see that when you in meditation, how the mind has its own mind and does its own thing. And, you know, you become the observer. And it's really a revelation when you see that in, in practice, meditation practice. Uh, ultimately, you know, if uh, this is what I come back to. I didn't get to choose what appears to be choosing. Uh, evolution has created me. I mean, the evolution of universe, the universe and then the evolution of all the life that, you know, we're, we're, we're stardust, really. We're made out of the explosion of supernova. But um, the way we're shaped, the way we think, the way... None of that is due to our making. I mean, we maybe find a little elbow room in there where, we, you know, where I think we have some freedom is to edit, to deny uh, creations that of our that seem to be of our own making. More more than building something new, we're letting things pass us by. I, I'm that. That didn't sound very clear to me, but <laughs> you kind of know what I mean. Yeah. But we, we're, we're going to pretend that we're free anyway, so, you know. Yeah. Did somebody raise their hand? Didn't somebody raise their hand? Oh, I thought somebody raised their hand.
I heard on NPR um, this afternoon that migrating birds are um, confused um, confused by great sources of, of light that we produce. For example, on September 11th every year, um, they shine huge floodlights, um, like a thousand huge lights to commemorate um, that day. And they have observed migrating birds um, coming close to the lights and disrupting their path. And so, so they're wonder, so it just made me wonder, I mean, it, I don't know, it's very sad in a way that, that a species like birds um, who seem to live so ecologically wise are, are being disrupted by our acting out. Our consumption, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. and in, in fact, it's one of the things that I think is most disturbing about what's happening to the world. Uh, they did a survey. They said between 1970 and the year 2000, there, were, uh, there was a 70% dis- decrease in the number of songbirds in North America. Uh, I think people have to start reading the endangered species list and allowed in churches and schools. People don't know what's happening. And, uh, you know, we really have to make it visible and known. Uh, and maybe in- encourage people to adapt a species you, you feel a resonance with. And But reading the endangered species list is, is a tragic... Uh, thing to do. I mean, not not a tragic thing to do, but a, an indictment of all of us for crimes against non-humanity. And nobody talks about the central problem or what seems to me to be the central problem. Too damn many of us. Eight billion. Eight billion. The estimates I've heard are that it would take another three to five planets to sustain uh, that many people, at least not in the middle-class lifestyle that we're living here in North America. Everybody's got their own problems, right? So you'd think every, you know, uh, the more people there are, the more problems there's going to be. Somebody should have figured that out. You, You had a Quote. Question. Well, the um, y- y- you said about we we think we have more freedom than we than we really do, and I totally agree with that. But I also think um, the way science is progressing, we think we're a lot smarter than we really are. Um, so smart that we can create, you know, automatons that are smarter than us. <laughs> <laughs> so, go figure. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't I don't understand it either. And my my teaching colleague Joanna Macy says we're going to have to learn to want different things and seek different pleasures. And the whole idea of consumer society, which America not you know not, this is not a blaming statement, but America has really led the world through the last era, the last. 50 to 100 years of, uh, you know, increasing consumption, increasing desires. Everybody should have their own TV set, their own washing machine, uh, you know, and that's that message has been carried around the world. Now, if we really wanted to make ourselves great again, we might start lead the world into a new era of, of uh, sane consumption and... Uh, because I think it's it's gonna, nature's gonna demand it of us. It already is. 
It already is. But that's what I wasn't going to talk about tonight, you know. Well, I just I just wanted to say thank you for um expanding my mind and I think our minds tonight. Um uh, as you do so wonderfully, um, it just really helps in these hard times where we can that we're we are going through. Um, you know that we can ju- we just naturally contract in the face of all that's going on that is hard, uh, and you give us this huge, huge, huge perspective, which is thank you really wonderful. Thank you very much. One more. Um, I was just going to comment that, you know, you brought up evolution and this kind of force of nature that created us from stardust. And it seems to me that, you know, fish didn't want to come out of the water because the water was a nice place to be. And I think evolution is driven by challenge and pain. Absolutely. And so I think all these things that are going on that seem so hard maybe can be viewed as this uh, a challenge to drive this force of evolution. You know, maybe you can look at it that way. It's easier to... Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for ending on that note. That's great. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the revolution we have now in, in mindfulness, you know, around the country around the world it's people trying to wake up and gain some sanity some peace so let's uh, dedicate the merit of our practice thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.